What if someone were to write the story of your life in food? What would it look like? I suppose, if we were going chronologically, we could make it fairly easy. Baby food as your appetizer, perhaps a soup course of the top ramen you had during university, an easy weeknight dinner for your main course when you were putting in those 40, 50, or maybe even 80 hours at the office. Or maybe instead we could do a whole menu of celebration meals. The mac and cheese you requested for your eighth birthday dinner. The filet mignon you had for New Year's Eve when you were 29. And, of course, let's not forget wedding cake for dessert. But maybe we shouldn't be too literal. The menu of a person's life can take any kind of shape and form, depending on how, when, and where a person lived. Today we're going to create an imaginary lifetime feast for Georgia O'Keeffe, a woman who isn't often remembered for her culinary skills. But that certainly doesn't mean she wasn't deeply connected or interested in food. Because really, isn't food, or maybe we should call it cuisine, just another art form? Welcome to The Feast. I'm your host, Laura Carlson, and today we are living up to our name quite literally. We'll create an entire dinner based on the life of Georgia O'Keeffe, using recipes that speak to moments from throughout her very, very long life, and of course, that also speak to her career as a prolific artist. Many of these recipes we're using are O'Keeffe's own, or at least those we definitely know she used, pulling from a very impressive and quite enviable collection of cookbooks at her home in New Mexico. O'Keeffe is perhaps one of the most famous American artists of the 20th century, and she's perhaps best known for her depictions of nature, whether a solitary flower or apple or even skull, but she also created large-scale vistas, often inspired by the southwestern desert of New Mexico, her adopted home. Now, I recently stopped in Santa Fe on our long road trip through the U.S., and of course, had to pay a visit to the Georgia O'Keeffe Museum, which is located right in the middle of town. You can also, of course, take tours up to her homes north of Santa Fe at Ghost Ranch and Abiquiu. And yes, of course, her homes are filled with mementos of her massive artistic work. But what also is amazing is how much food and downright cooking takes up space at O'Keeffe's homes. Recently, there was a wonderful book put out by Robin Leah called Dinner with Georgia O'Keeffe. And the book features a bunch of recipes O'Keeffe was known to have made, known to have loved, or simply may have been inspired by from events in her life. Which got me to thinking, how would you go about writing the biography of a person, no matter how famous, through food alone? What would it look like exactly? The life and art of Georgia O'Keeffe as told through food. Well, let's make it a whole imaginary meal dedicated to Georgia, starting with, of course, setting the table. Well, it's clear 
our dining room would have to be set in her New Mexican home in Abiquiu. Now, although Georgia O'Keeffe was born in Wisconsin, O'Keeffe encountered the southern and southwestern portions of the U.S. early in life. She worked and taught in Texas for a short time in the early 1900s, and in the late 1920s, she made her first trip to New Mexico, falling in love with the climate, the people, and of course, the landscapes. About a decade or so later, in the mid-1940s, O'Keeffe bought her first property in New Mexico at Ghost Ranch, just a little north of Santa Fe. Soon after, she became entranced with another property, located in the ancient village of Abiquiu. Georgia O'Keeffe purchased a crumbling ruin there, often dated to the mid-18th century. She restored it piece by piece with the help of friends, and it would eventually become her permanent home in the 1970s and 1980s. It was also there she planted an extensive vegetable garden. It was to that house she shipped yogurt makers and grain mills. If she had lived in the 21st century, I'm sure Georgia O'Keeffe would have been making beer and kombucha as well. And that house was really the center, the culinary center of O'Keeffe's world. So I think it's only right we set up our imaginary meal there. But what about our plates, cups, and silverware? Well, we aren't the first ones to imagine a scene of Georgia O'Keeffe's ultimate dinner party. In the 1970s, actually, Judy Chicago created a very similar, if imaginary, scene. Not just featuring Georgia O'Keeffe, of course, but actually a dinner party that honored famous and mythical women from all time. Now, in Chicago's art piece, 39 seats were arranged around a triangular table. And at this table were folks like Queen Elizabeth I, Virginia Woolf, Sacagawea, the Egyptian pharaoh Hatshepsut, Sojourner Truth, and Empress Theodora. But at the head of this table of illustrious women, Chicago placed Georgia O'Keeffe. Now, apparently, O'Keeffe wasn't too thrilled at this particular honor, refusing the feminist honor that Chicago bestowed upon her. So maybe in deference to Georgia O'Keeffe's preferences, we'll go with O'Keeffe's own plates and table that she had at her home in New Mexico. Now, according to Christine Taylor Patton, who worked as a cook, nurse, and companion for O'Keeffe in New Mexico during the last few years of her life, the dining room at Abiquiu was rarely used, and only for special occasions, which I certainly think this qualifies as. Now, Georgia O'Keeffe's dining room, in Patton's words, looked like, quote, It had a dirt floor, hardened with animal blood. It was almost as hard as concrete, but looked as if it were made of some soft material like suede. It added to continuity in that house. The sense of old adobe found also in the living room, where the floor was that same mixture of blood and mud, giving it a lovely New Mexican color. So I hope you're picturing that dark, solid floor underfoot. But what about the plates and the table? Well, we have information on that too. Georgia O'Keeffe apparently favored plain white plates. Simple. Very similar, apparently, to how she approached her artwork. All right, that sounds about right. Where do we start for food? Appetizers. Farmhouse rye bread. To start off our meal, 
we begin with something simple. Just bread and butter. And there's lots to unpack here in this apparently basic loaf. At first, there's the nod, of course, to O'Keefe's upbringing. Born in 1887 on a dairy farm in rural Wisconsin, O'Keefe spent the first few years of her life in the hot summers and bitterly cold winters of the upper Midwest. There she attended school, but also took art classes. Now apparently Georgia knew early on that she wanted to be an artist, as early as at age 10. And her farm life didn't last long. By her teens, the family had moved to Virginia. And when Georgia graduated from high school, she moved even further south to teach art classes at a Texas teacher's college. Now this farmhouse rye bread doesn't just have to do with Georgia's early life, but her middle and later years as well. After Georgia settled into life in New Mexico, she became a keen devotee of homemade and whole foods. As I mentioned, she ordered yogurt makers to be shipped to her across the country. And in 1955, 10 years into her life at New Mexico, she bought a Model 5 22-inch high flour mill from the Lee Engineering Company and shipped it to New Mexico from Wisconsin, using it to mill organic grains. Clean eating, eat your heart out. O'Keefe baked bread throughout her life, from her early days on a Wisconsin farm to her later years in New Mexico, often presenting handmade loaves to the various folks who worked in and around her homes at Abiquiu and Ghost Ranch. You can find a recipe for farmhouse rye bread in Robin Leia's Dinner with Georgia O'Keefe, but we'll also put a link to a version of the recipe up on our website at thefeastpodcast.org. Salad Course, Armenian-style leeks. I've decided to take a bit of an unusual approach to our next course, which some might say should just be the salad. And like her yogurt makers and grain mills, Georgia O'Keeffe certainly loved fresh vegetables. It was actually one of the reasons that led her to buy the residence at Abiquiu in the late 1940s. Unlike her home at Ghost Ranch, it was full of space for veggies, herbs, and fruit. But there's more to this veggie story than meets the eye. Because we can't forget the person who inspired Georgia to buy and eventually live in New Mexico. Her friend and confidant, Maria Shabbat. Maria had been born in Texas and spent her teenage years and early 20s exploring the southwestern United States and Mexico. She had become devoted to the state of New Mexico, particularly the area around Santa Fe. Although descriptions of Maria's life are now often dominated by her relationship to Georgia O'Keeffe, this was one Renaissance woman. She ran a cattle ranch and fruit orchard for over 20 years, but she was also dedicated to the arts. If you visit Santa Fe today, you cannot miss the local artisanal market that sets up in the middle of town, bursting with pottery, jewelry, and textiles. It is among the longest-running cultural markets in the Southwest, and today features artisans from indigenous communities from all over North America, such as the Navajo, Washoe, and Anishinaabe. Now, during much of the 1930s and early 1940s, Georgia O'Keeffe was living in New York City with her husband, the photographer Arthur Stieglitz. Georgia was already spending much of the year in New Mexico, 
particularly after she bought Ghost Ranch. And it was around then that Georgia met Maria. The two developed a fast friendship, exchanging letters frequently between Georgia's residence in New York and Maria's home in New Mexico. And it was Maria that introduced Georgia to the property at Abiquiu, which Georgia would eventually buy for a sum total of $3,000. When Arthur died in 1946, Georgia remained in New York to deal with funeral preparations and her late husband's estate. But she entrusted Abiquiu to her friend Maria, even asking her to extend the vegetable garden already partially in place at the hacienda. And Maria took her task quite seriously, planning a thorough remodel and expansion of not only that vegetable garden, but also the Abiquiu home itself. But let's focus on the garden for a moment, because that is, of course, where we're drawing inspiration from for this course. Under first Maria, and eventually Georgia's supervision, the garden became a frequent source for meals at Abiquiu, where onions, asparagus, watercress, and of course, leeks would be grown. Maria and Georgia must have shared a healthy love of not only gardening, but cooking. Among their numerous letters to each other, many included recipes. It was also Maria who introduced Georgia to some New Mexican culinary classics, such as tortas de huevos tradicionales, a frequent Lenten dish in New Mexico. The writer Robin Lea discovered a handwritten recipe for the dish in Shabbat's own hand on the back of an envelope addressed to Georgia. It was also Maria who introduced Georgia to the Armenian-style leeks that feature on our dinner tonight. Although somewhat popular today, leeks actually were rather rare on Anglo-American tables during the early 20th century. But leeks were certainly grown in O'Keeffe's Abiquiu Garden, at least as early as 1948, as a letter to Maria suggests, quote, If we plant enough leeks, they can stay in the ground all winter. Now, we've also taken inspiration from Georgia O'Keeffe's large cookbook collection. This specific Armenian preparation of leeks comes from a 1944 cookbook, which may have been known to Georgia, called Dinner at Omar Khayyam's by San Francisco chef George Mardikian. Mardikian was a celebrity chef of the early to mid 20th century, famous for having introduced Turkish food to the popular U.S. menu. His restaurants were internationally renowned, the man even earned a Presidential Medal of Freedom. Now, it's likely that Georgia O'Keeffe would have both known about the celebrity chef and also possibly would have kept at least one copy of his cookbook at her house. The recipe that we're featuring here today is very simple. Just a casserole pot full of leeks, along with onions, garlic, tomato, and carrots. Dress with olive oil and salt and pepper, and bake everything in the oven for an hour or so until the vegetables are deliciously tender. If you'd like the full recipe, you can find a version in Robin Leia's Dinner with Georgia O'Keeffe, or if you're lucky enough, in the 1944 classic Dinner with Omar Khayyam. Maria Shabbat stayed and even often lived with Georgia O'Keeffe until the end of the 1940s, at which point Maria became a manager for a New Mexico cattle ranch. 
Although Shabbat moved away and never returned to live again at Abiquiu, she and Georgia remained friends until O'Keeffe's death in the 1980s. But let's move on to our main course. And I'll be honest, this is pretty much a showstopper. Because while, yes, this meal is all about Georgia O'Keeffe, this particular dish represents not only O'Keeffe's numerous international travels throughout the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, it also continues on a theme we saw in the last course, her friendships, personal and professional, with artists all over the world. In 1951, O'Keefe set out on a multi-week driving trip through Mexico, accompanied by her good friends. They covered as much of the country as they could, driving, in six weeks, getting as far south as Oaxaca. But they also made a special stop in Mexico City to visit artistic legends Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera. Now, that meeting could be a podcast episode, let alone a series in its own right, I like to imagine what the three of them ate as they sat down to lunch in Kahlo's Casa Azul in Mexico City. Now, I don't have the menu from that particular lunch, but what we do know is that Frida and Georgia kept in touch after this meeting, exchanging letters back and forth before Frida's death only three years later in 1954. Now, the course in our meal highlights that fateful 1951 meeting, but it also shows how both women shaped, and of course were shaped by, the landscapes and cultures around them, whether in Mexico City or Santa Fe. Although from drastically different backgrounds, both Frida and Georgia found inspiration in the traditions, colors, the vibrancy of the areas in which they lived. Both shared a strong heritage in both Spanish and indigenous cultures. And what better way to showcase these then in two takes on that absolute classic, enchiladas. And we are lucky enough to actually have recipes for this dish associated with both women. And just as you would suspect, each enchilada recipe highlights different ingredients, different interpretations of tradition. Frida's enchiladas are more of the enchiladas tapatia style from Jalisco. Now they rely on toasted ancho chilies, onion and garlic, combined with chicken breast, Mexican crema, and queso añejo, an aged goat cheese rolled in paprika. Now, in Robin Lea's book, Dinner with Georgia O'Keeffe, she features O'Keeffe's enchiladas recipe via Margaret Wood, who worked for O'Keeffe in the late 1970s and early 80s, often making the dish for O'Keeffe on hot summer days, apparently accompanied by a small glass of beer. I'm sorry to say, in this enchilada off, I will have to hand the crown to Frida. Frida's recipe called for a homemade, smoky ancho chili sauce made from scratch. Georgia, or rather Margaret Wood's recipe, relied on a pre-made green chili sauce that never is really specified. And instead of queso añejo, Monterey Jack, or even a mild cheddar was recommended. Although both dishes did of course rely on chicken breast. No offense to Georgia O'Keeffe intended, but I think in this particular enchilada off, Frida wins hands down. Dessert. Chocolate, walnut, brownie. 
Now this brings us to the dessert course, which, after enchiladas and rye bread, may surprise you a bit. It is, after all, just a simple chocolate walnut brownie. According to Robin Leia, the recipe for this brownie was written in Georgia O'Keeffe's own hand on, of all things, notepaper with a Waldorf Astoria logo on it. And that's our first clue. Leia offers two very plausible theories behind this interesting notepaper. The first is perhaps that O'Keeffe wrote it in 1958, when she was visiting her sister Anita, who was living in the Waldorf Towers in New York City at the time. Now, O'Keeffe had traveled from New Mexico to comfort her sister after the death of Anita's husband. And who doesn't need a little chocolate as a pick-me-up now and again? That's one theory, and it's certainly plausible. But I'll be honest, I prefer the second suggestion that O'Keeffe got the recipe straight from a Waldorf Astoria chef when she was visiting the Grand Hotel on April 30th in 1963. She was in town to receive a Creative Arts Award for Lifetime Achievement in Painting from Brandeis University, an award she was presented with at an opulent dinner with over 1,000 guests at one of the Waldorf Astoria's famous ballrooms. World-renowned composer Leonard Bernstein introduced Georgia and the award that evening, saying her work had led to a whole new point of view in art as it relates to nature. Of course, there are many recipes for chocolate walnut brownies, but I was curious whether or not the Waldorf Astoria was actually famous for its chocolate brownies. Now I did some serious internet research And I couldn't find a recipe for their brownies per se, but I did find a suspiciously similar recipe for chocolate walnut cookies on the Waldorf's website. I like to think they're at least in the spirit of Georgia. And you can find a link to those on our website at thefeastpodcast.org. Well, with dessert, that pretty much wraps up our meal but I did want to throw in one more Georgia-inspired recipe, something that touched on her later years. Georgia O'Keeffe, of course, lived to be a ripe old 98 years of age, so her advice on how to stay healthy is not something to be sniffed at. And one thing Georgia loved in her later years, swearing by its nutritional benefits, was tiger's milk. Georgia was a devotee of mid-20th century nutritionist Adele Davis, who, if you're not up on your mid-century food fads, you may be surprised to learn, was a critic of the dangers of processed food in the American diet as early as the 1940s. She condemned saturated fats and sugars in her numerous books and earned thousands of devoted fans throughout the U.S., including, of course, Georgia O'Keeffe. One recipe of Adele Davis's Georgia clearly favored was tiger's milk, perhaps one of her most lasting contributions to health drinks. Now, I like to think of this as her mid-20th century equivalent of what would today be certainly akin to cold-pressed juice or a kale smoothie. It's filled with all kinds of ingredients you'd probably be familiar with as part of any health beverage today, like protein powder and even wheat germ. Georgia insisted on having the beverage often and between meals, even going so far as to send a man to Santa Fe for the ingredients every other day. 
that was about a 90-minute round trip. And with that last dose of nutrition, our meal has concluded. Georgia O'Keeffe herself died in 1986 in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And after she died, her homes were converted into museums and galleries. Today, her garden and abiquiu is still maintained by local high school students interested in horticulture. And Georgia O'Keeffe herself remains one of the most prolific and most successful American artists of the 20th century. She still holds the record for the highest purchase price for any work by a female artist. In 2014, her painting Jimson Weed, White Flower Number 1, was sold at auction by Sotheby's for $44.4 million. Now, we can't leave Georgia behind without something at least in her own words. And what better way to end our meal than with a quote from her about cooking that comes to us from her last few years at Abiquiu, as recorded by Christine Taylor Patton. Quote, A cookbook can be very entertaining. I intended reading about string beans, but I read about spaghetti instead. I always feel so hopeful that things will taste good when I read about them. So I'm going to have spaghetti instead of oatmeal for supper. The Feast is written and produced by me, Laura Carlson. Loudness Scale Consultation and Compression Coordinator, Mike Port. We could not have put this episode together without the fabulous book by Robin Leah, Dinner with Georgia O'Keeffe. If you're interested in art, food, or food and art, and certainly if you're a fan of Georgia O'Keeffe, it's a book I highly recommend. And if you get the chance, Christine Taylor Patton's book, Miss O'Keefe is also a spectacular read about the last few years O'Keefe spent in New Mexico. We'll put links to both books in our show notes. We'll also put links to all the other recipes and resources we used, along with some photos we took while we were in Santa Fe in December 2018. And if you liked our chocolate walnut nod to the Waldorf Astoria, you'll love our season finale, coming out just one week from now. And it's hard to believe we're almost at the end of season three. This is also just about the time of our podcast's little anniversary. We've been going for three straight years now. Thank you to everyone who has supported us over the years. Your comments, the messages, your fabulous recipes. They have kept us going year after year. We know there are lots of podcasts out there these days to choose from. So thank you so much for letting us tell you these great stories of meals that made history. It has meant a lot to us. Until next week's season finale, I'm Laura Carlson, and this is The Feast. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe.